0: Thank you for tuning in to our 2WA podcast. We discuss topics that are relevant to managers. We like to provide some tactics, some ideas, very tangible things that you can do around change, growth. Today it's individual and team performance. That's what we really wanna talk about. We, we're we gonna help people today with this podcast understand maybe a little bit, get a better sense of uh, what their situation is and some ideas on how to improve it.
1: So why don't we start with an example or a story. You know, it had been a smaller team. The company's growing. They've added some more people to the senior team. And while they came together and met occasionally, they really didn't have all the components of a highly effective team. So what did that look like? Weren't always clear what we were working on together. Everyone had their individual thing that they were busy doing and often even would cancel coming to a meeting because they're so busy doing their individual things. There would be some tension in the team about who's really deciding what and who made that decision and why didn't you consult with me? Um, I don't really enjoy coming to meetings. Maybe I'll just pass. So all those sort of components were certainly an example of one team that we were recently working with. And I think one of the first things that in this case we actually spent some time on was talking to them about do they really want to be a team or were they satisfied with being a group? (music) A group is a number of individuals, two or more, that have shared interests. And you could bring all the administrative assistants together, and they would likely be a group. They have shared interests, they have some shared responsibility. There are two things that make a team unique. One is that it is two or more people who have to work interdependently, and the second part is to achieve a common goal. They can't get to the goal with just you do your part and you sell 50% and I sell 50% and we don't need to interact. To get to 100% need to work interdependently. So in this case that was where we actually started was is there a need are there any common goals that really we need to work interdependently to achieve and so we started to get at that by actually first even looking at what do we appreciate that others around the table have in terms of skills and expertise that each individual didn't have and then the second thing that we looked at was what might be some strategic goals that this team really do need to work interdependently to achieve.
0: Well I was actually going to back up a minute and just talk a little bit about uh, even the the use of the word team. Obviously it comes from the sporting world I believe that's where it started and and people have great admiration for how people can work together and they work in this awesome way mm-hmm. and they win games and they um, they win championships and I think I think people try to then think about, but but that's kind of like the way does it is at work, but you can call it a team, doesn't make it so. So back to your point about group, there are people, and I always think, talk about the sales team at a dealership is always a good example for me. They're not a team, they're competing. So let's differentiate between groups and teams. But if you truly have it, something that should be working as a team, back to your point about if they're working interdependently or they need to be, but are not, You need to start to make that distinction in your own organization. If it's a group and they don't necessarily interact much and that's okay, leave it that way. Don't try and force a team on them. But if you truly have a group of people that are not as a unit performing well, that's where you need to put some of your attention.
1: And I find that the senior team level is often an area where people struggle a little bit more to come up with common goals. But typically that's where a strategic plan becomes really critical because if you have some strategic things that are do different that you all need to work on together to make that shift to add that extra product line to enhance the customer experience that's one area the second one which is can feel intangible is the culture And that's often another area where you could have goals around what you're trying to achieve. And that's what the senior team have to really focus on and work interdependently. And it doesn't work for just the human resources person or just the CEO to do it, that everyone on the team needs to work interdependently to achieve those cultures. So that's certainly a good starting place to look at is to look at how clear the goals are on your team. What we find is that when you have a temporary team, they are usually much more laser focused. And you've got a project team and they have to get something ready in six months time. They're laser focused on the team. When a team has been around for a while, a senior team's been meeting every month for so many years, they often lose focus is one of the things that we find.
0: This whole idea of interdependence, just for a moment, and I think uh, it's an important piece to recognize truly that you won't do your best work unless t- two people have to come together, two or more people have to come together, is, is kind of the, the point about interdependence. In other words, it's not that you'll utterly fail, but you may not do the best job possible. And of course, if you've got lofty goals, back to the goals that the senior management has, I think it should be, they should you quality excellence, call it what you will, is an important goal to have, or rather it's an important um, element of your goal. It shouldn't just be, you know, we're going to be really substandard here. No, we want to be at least good, if not great. Um, I think when people are trying to team build, and I'm thinking of a few proposals that we've written or been asked to comment on recently, um, I think there's the likability is in a lot of people's minds. And I think that's a good thing to kind of focus on just for a couple of minutes, because it's not really important. You don't have to like people to have a good team. Disagreement isn't a bad thing if it produces a synthesis of an even better idea than either of the two of you had, let's say, to begin with, to think about two people who might be arguing over an approach. Uh, Disagreement's okay. Uh, There has to be respect, though, and people have to be willing to work together. So there must be at least an element or a floor of compatibility, if you like, Either that or a very good um, uh, ability to compartmentalize your feelings. I don't like you at all, but actually we do really good work together then you can be a good team. But if you're really just worried about mm, they don't really get along, I think you need to consider parking that unless it is truly dysfunctional to the point you can't have people in a room. Don't focus on the fact that we all get along well together. That still could just be a group. It doesn't make you a team. And and think about that if you're trying to improve your team's performance. Put that in the right place. It's not truly important, but it's it's if you like, it's a good enabler. In other words, if we also like each other and we do good work together and we can find some common goals.
1: I think what you're speaking of there, Michael, is a great point about one of the things that's very healthy to do on a team is to assess where your team is at. And there's two approaches, and and you just referenced um, so well the first, which is there are four stages in team development. And we call it the forming, when the team comes together and they're very uh, nice to each other. Then there is the storming when arguments will happen and role clarity, uh, decision-making frictions emerge. Then a group norms and they agree with how they're going to uh, operate and then they really move to perform. And I could count numerous times when we've been asked to come in and help a team because it was storming and there's nothing wrong with storming. We have to do is help the team to effectively work through the conflict and get it resolved. But often leaders call us and want to like just make them stop, make them stop arguing, uh, when in fact the argument or that storming is a, a critical factor in the team's development. Uh, but when it when done well and when assessed well, you you can move a team very healthily through all of those and keep it in the performing. the The other thing, speaking of assessment, is that's certainly something we. Uh, often come in and do is assess the, the strength of the team against a variety of different characteristics. And and it can take something that can seem so intangible and make it tangible. Um, and so I'll, I'll use a couple examples with a client we did recently where we had, uh, for example, questions like, how effective are your peers in clearly communicating key messages and the desired outcome? when sending a message to others. And we found out that they were in um, about a 68% rating there. And we found out that in fact, one of the biggest issues was that people were not timely in their communication. People were feeling that they were left out in different situations um, and, um, and were very, very frustrated by that we actually found out that they were not very effective in how they were holding people accountable and how they were managing conflict. So going in and being able to get the team to each individual to assess and the team to collectively assess really can help you look at um, the health of the team. And therefore, instead of having to do 100 things, what are two or three key things that if the team can learn that process that methodology it can come up with a a way of operating it will improve its overall performance
0: there is a there's a degree of of impartiality if you like or objectiveness that managers have to have in any situation certainly with a team you can't play the personalities you've got to play what's the best thing for the overall team and um, start with your assessment first and figure out what are the, the things you need to be working on <music>
1: To summarize, when one is looking at their team and why it is or is not excelling in performance, it's important to first of all figure out if it is a team versus a group. I think the second part is to figure out if the goals are clear, measurable, and compelling. You know, one of the things that Michael and I have encountered is in one team we work with, they actually took their three goals that they were working on as a senior management team, working on interdependently, and they literally put them on the agenda on the left-hand side of the um, agenda and they were always there. So you could always see how close are we to achieving um, the sales target they had, the engagement target they had with staff, and they had a service excellence target. And those teams you will typically find will excel because the performance, everyone is clear on what we're working on uh, interdependently. And that's your starting point.
0: If you can't come up with a set of goals for your team, you got to question if you've got a team or whether you're setting them properly. But let's assume that you do. You've got a team and you've set some goals. Expectations are probably the other thing that we, uh, we always come back around to. People have goals which tell them, what we're going to achieve. They have job descriptions that talk about what they're responsible for. We like to talk about expectations that that give people direction on how they should go about achieving those goals, how they should go about working within a team. Um, Expectations are not usually talked about. People work work in their jobs, they're hired. They may figure it out in terms of how we work, often called culture. In this organization, we think it's more important to explicitly state as the leader or maybe if it's a self-directed or self-managed team, the collective leadership, how we work together, how we're going to interact, how we're going to make decisions, um, how we're going to uh, act in a respectful manner. It depends on what the characteristics are, but you should lay out how people work because that can curb perhaps some people's um Uh, behavior that might be a little outside the boundaries, you know, coloring outside the lines, you gotta rein that in a little bit. It also can encourage those people who might be quieter and you're not hearing enough from. So you can lay out expectations that talk about, you know, everybody needs to contribute verbally in a meeting, let's say that was your your expectation so that no one hides in the corners and good ideas don't go undiscussed.
1: So let me use an example and a little bit of a non-traditional one. We were brought in to work with a team at a childcare center. And in the process, we helped them state some really clear expectations. So there were expectations, like if you're coming to a staff meeting, there was um, questions to prepare and come ready to answer. There were expectations about how you went about asking other team members to cover off duties if you needed them to. We had some really clear expectations about if you were going to meet and miss a meeting, a staff meeting who was your meeting buddy and what was your responsibility to get caught up versus them. What was really interesting in that whole story was they had about 10 very clear expectations, they put some other really clear aspects in about how they were going to operate as a team and then they found out they were getting a new team supervisor. And at first they were really concerned because they thought, oh, all this work we've done together, it's all going to go away. But in fact, they um, spoke to the team supervisor and said, we have a way of working. We've developed expectations. We have clear goals. And the supervisor said, I would be crazy not to honor all of this work. And so they actually carried on performing. They didn't have to go back and go back to the forming, storming, norming, performing. They just stayed at performing because it was understood even for the leader that these are the team expectations, let's honor them. These are the team goals, let's honor them. And they maintain performance.
0: And, and I can almost hear people that are listening to this talking. about, oh, that's a lot of work. Can't we just get on to the work that we're supposed to do? If you don't put the process in place, you're not going to get the good product out the other end. So you do need to put some things in place. Yes, expectations, how we're going to make decisions, who's going to make decisions, how will we share information uh, between and among us. Those sorts of things are important before you, you know, do your first bit of work.
1: You know, let's say that it was five hours of meeting time one spent on expectations, goals, decision-making, some of the other characteristics. Well, I think most people listening have wasted five hours in team meetings working with a less than effective team. So it really does have payoff. We do a simulation that involves uh, 15 sticks and and getting teams to look at how they perform in this simulation. And one of the things that comes out again and again is that when the team goal is really clear, people will step away from a role and say, I'm not very good at this role. You're better. Why don't you take this role? People won't mind if someone says, you know, I've got a suggestion of how you can do something differently so we can achieve this goal. And it always strikes me about how often in organizations we get, you know, someone doesn't want to change what they're doing because they've been doing it for five years, or they feel offended that someone suggests they do something differently. And I almost always, and it's worth looking at in your teams, but I almost always find that if they get get offended, then the goal isn't clear. If I'm clear that this is what we're striving to achieve, I'll do anything, including changing how I work so that we can achieve the goal.
0: You're taking it away from the personal. It's all about me, too the greater good. How we make decisions um, is, is is another key element in terms of um, high-performing teams. Often people just use consensus for everything. That's a style of making them. Sometimes you you, you get polarization between we're gonna try and make all the, the decisions together. Not a good idea. Or on the other end, one person's gonna make a decision, goes off by themselves to do it. Neither of those things are the, by in themselves um, incorrect or bad but you have to use them at the right times. There are certain things where you want consensus. There are certain things where we have an expert on the team. Why would I make the decision? Let that person make the decision. We do some training where we, we actually have a little segment on making decisions. And um, we usually ask questions like, so how many people in their management teams take a vote to decide what to go? And most people are, oh, no, we could never do that. People, we don't want it. We don't want disagreement. Um, but actually, it's pretty quick. And on certain situations, votes aren't a bad thing. Hence, uh, you know, we push we push people to, to say, sure, there are certain decisions that shouldn't be votes, but some of them, boy, you could save a lot of time if you didn't discuss them all to death before you come to a conclusion. And the other one I'll add to that is, and so I think people should think about that, if you've got two good options, flip a coin. And I've had clients go, what are you, crazy? Flip a coin. They're both good. Why discuss things for another two hours? Either one will achieve... Flip a coin, move on. The one thing people don't really pay enough t- attention to, I think, both in teams and generally in organizations, is t- the use of time. Uh, when you're in a meeting, team meeting or otherwise, you know, if it's a two-hour meeting, figure out everyone's hourly cost. Figure the economic impact of that meeting. Did we really need to discuss it for an extra half an hour or could we have just flipped a coin? Again, in the right situations with the right issues, people should be trying many different types of decision-making.
1: So building on that, here are three practical techniques you can use to improve decision making in your team. So the first one is to um, agree that on certain decisions, we are going to vote. And so going into the item, have say we're going to take 10 minutes to talk about the pros and the cons and encourage everyone to offer their ideas. At the end of 10 minutes, say we're going to call a vote. You can either say it's going to be 75% or majority, but that concludes that item. Uh, The second one that we find to be very effective is to deem someone on the team the ultimate decision maker, but have everyone else take 10 minutes, provide their input, and then leave that person to go off and reflect after the meeting is over um, for a period of time and make a decision having reflected on everyone. But it's the onus on that person to come back and let the rest of the team know how their input influenced them and, and the rationale to their decision. The third one, to your point, Michael, about consensus is if it really is a decision that you feel needs to be made by consensus, the technique that I found to be the most effective is something that we call yellow, red, and green flags. So if you bring a recommendation forward, you first of all say to the team, are there any yellow flags? And yellow flag is, I could support this if, and you have to complete that sentence. I could support this if we reevaluate it in three months time. I could support this if we go and speak to this one group um, directly because they're going to be very surprised by this decision and I don't want them to receive an email. So you ask people what their cautionary notes are and you collect them all, and you record them all. And then you say, let's assume that we're going to review it in th- three months time. We're going to talk to that one group, etc., etc. Now are there any red flags? And a red flag means I don't support this. Now the rule of the red flag is you are more than welcome to put a red flag on the play, but you must therefore work with someone who does support it offside and come back with a new recommendation. So you can't just be a naysayer with no responsibility. Uh, You are welcome to disagree, but you must put the effort in. So you say, are there any red flags? And if there is, then that person, along with someone who supports it, go off. We agree when they're going to come back with a new recommendation. If there are not, then I will turn and I will say a show of hands of all green flags, and I make sure there is a show of hand because sometimes someone is holding back; they forgot to put a yellow flag out or whatever. Um, that's a very good process to use when you do need consensus, but you can't do that for every item in every meeting. But on the really important ones, we highly recommend the yellow, red, green flag approach.
0: I use this approach with um, uh, some clients. Back last year, late last year. There were two municipalities who did some joint work together, uh, not a project but a program, in dealing with water and wastewater and such. And what they found helpful about this was it gave a, it gave a positive spin to disagreement. Oh, I, don't, I, I don't think that's crazy to spend money on that. Okay, great. You think it's crazy? That's a red flag. Uh, you're going to go off with someone who thinks it's a great idea and come to some kind of... Uh, mutual change to what we're proposing such that everyone can support it. Maybe it's going to be a better idea such that uh, your red flag can become green and we we can get this thing passed. And just a little bit of structure such that people weren't seen to be just, oh, you're always negative, etc. And with the understanding that uh, a, a no, a red flag, meant you had to work with others also made people think really clearly about why they might or might not support something. So in other words, there's a little bit more onus. It's easy to just say no. But knowing I then have to come up with a yes, so to speak, a a better idea. People think very long and hard about that. Getting your process in place so people can realize that I can disagree and I'm not going to be ostracized or um, uh, I'm not going to sulk or go away because it didn't get my way. But you are going to win some and you are going to lose some. And I think that that it's really important that people keep that in mind as they go forward. Social Services Board up in Northern Ontario, and I went through an exercise, and it was painstaking at the time, Uh, it was something that the CAO wanted. We literally listed, by role, the key decisions that had to be made, who needed input, who didn't need input, where you had to have people coming together to make that decision, and then of course, communicating it all. And while it, it was very painstaking at the time, Uh, It it was good because they essentially had a matrix. Oh, that's yours, not mine. Oh, we need to get together on that because that's coming up and and you need some input from me. It took it away from the individual sense of it, the self-focus, if you like. That's mine and put my arms around it. We've already talked about, yes, you get to make it, but we've told you the parameters within which you need to make that decision. Who has to be involved, what the limitations are, those sorts of things. If you've got a lot of decisions that are tricky or politically sensitive or um, huge impacts. You should lay all that stuff out in advance if you want the team to perform a level. All of that, if you like, is practice. Or uh, another way to look at it is we're working on the business first before we work in the business. Let's not get um, let's not get to it too quickly. And reference something that we uh, we do a team building with the, the sticks as she referenced them. It's called frame build. So uh, just a quick um, uh, you know quick description. You lay out the table a certain way, and there's paper that's been taped down, and there's 15 sticks with notches that are just put there on the table to start. And as soon as you do that, some people just immediately start grabbing them and trying to see how they fit together, not in any organized fat manner, not like we've had a discussion. Now we're going to do it. They just jump to the work and usually those groups don't perform as well. So we like to you know hold off on them uh, as much as possible. We see that um, with some groups regularly. That's the, uh, that's the impulse you like, and that's back to that point about trying to control that impulse. You need to control some of your ways of operating if you're gonna operate in a team. Otherwise, you won't be successful. From a Myers-Briggs perspective, uh, for those of you that know Myers-Briggs, on one of the four spectrums, you can be either sensing or intuitive. In 75% of the world, according to Myers-Briggs, from all the studies they've done over the years, is sensing. And without getting too far to that definition, it's people who like to know exactly what the rules are and how you got there. And most people benefit from some boundaries. Most people benefit from some rules. A lot of people can't operate without it. And in the absence, they will make some uh, incorrect choices about what they say and what they do. Just because there were no rules, not necessarily because they were malicious. I don't know if we really need, you know, the the idea about how we communicate and how many spaces after the period, et cetera. Maybe that's important to you. If it is, you should add it in. But certainly some basics so that people know, you know, what's onside and what's offside. Uh, never hurts.
1: So I would say, in, in summary, then. One of the keys about having a high performance team is that it won't just happen. You can hope, you can wish, you can give really exciting cheerleading uh, speeches and it still will not emerge as a high performance team. It takes time and it takes energy and it takes processes to develop communication systems, to make sure that the goals are very clear, make sure decision-making is clear in terms of both what's gonna be done collective and what's individual. That the um, expectations are written and adhered to. People are not fearful to hold each other accountable to those expectations. And that there is a consistent way in which the team monitors how well it's doing against its goals.
0: So I've talked at kind of a high level to a certain extent. We've told some stories today. How about we give you some specific things we think you should do? So when you're finished listening to the podcast, when you get to work, uh, you're leading a team. What are some things you should do? What are your next steps? I would always start with some sort of uh, an analysis and I'd make it pretty simple. I would talk to all the people in the team, probably one-on-one first, but you might could do it as a group. You'll have to decide that based on the dynamics. You'd ask them, are our goals and our mandate clear? Do you know how decisions get made? Do you know how you're expected to operate within this team? Do we have, in your opinion, do we have operating principles? So we know not just how we act, but what how we're going to do our business. And are you getting the information you need? I don't like, by the way, the word communication. It's overused. Are people transferring the information you need for you to be successful in your job? And I'd start with the results there to say, are there areas that we need to work on? Um, maybe the goal is clear, but how we get there, the operating principles, the expectations aren't clear. That could be a group activity where you spend some time on the business in terms of setting and you know, well how what do you expect from me what do I expect from you what does the organization need from us a little bit of discussion there can probably really clarify it for people and, and in all cases make sure you write down whatever it is you agree on if decisions aren't clear what would you do about that you talk about who should make which decisions you talk about how the, what the process is for those get input from others because remember if we're back to team we're back to process People don't necessarily need to agree and they don't need to buy in, but they at least need to know how things will work and their role within that. And I think those are some places that you can start to get a better sense of where your team is at and then you can start to take some steps to clarify uh, what people should or shouldn't.
1: And certainly if after you've done that you're not sure with what you found out or you're not sure how best to go forward, feel free to give us a call. We're Ann Birmingham and Michael Howes from 2WA Consulting. We'd be happy to buy the coffee and talk about your team and your team effectiveness. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe to our podcast or follow us on LinkedIn. We're always happy to connect. And thank you for listening.
0: Don't forget to leave a review if you like this. Then we'll do more.